Chapter One of the Crimson Cryptogram by Fergus Hume. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One A Midnight Surprise. Poverty, naked and unconcealed. One can endure that with some patience as a beaten soldier in the battle of life but genteel pauperism the semi-poverty of the middle class that lives a necessary lie at the cost of incessant worry and constant defeat there you have the true misery of life believe me cass there is no torture like that of an ambition which cannot be attained for lack of money i did not know you were ambitious ellis not of setting the thames on fire my desires are limited to a good practice a moderate income a home and a wife to love me these wishes are reasonable enough heaven knows yet some cursed fate prevents their realization and i have to sit down and wait a doctor can do nothing else i must listen with such philosophy as i have for the ring of the doorbell to announce my first patient and the ring never comes the heart grows sick the brain rusty the money goes the temper sours and so i passed the best days of my life all things come to him who knows how to wait said cass knocking the ashes out of a well-smoked briar and the horse is the noblest of all animals retorted ellis i never did find consolation in proverbs of that class the two men sat in their dingy sitting-room talking as usual of a problematical future every night they discussed the subject and every discussion ended without any definite conclusion being arrived at indeed only fortune could have terminated the arguments in a satisfactory manner but as yet the fickle deity showed no disposition to make a third in the conversation therefore robert ellis m d and harry cass journalist talked and talked and talked they also hoped for the best a state of mind sufficiently eloquent of their penniless position unless they or their relatives are sick rich people have no need to hope for the best the second virtue dwells almost exclusively with the poor and ambitious as do her two sisters supper was just over but even cold beef pickles and bottled beer with the after comfort of a pipe could not make ellis happy the more philosophical cass lay on the ragged sofa and digested his meal while the doctor walked up and down the room railing at fate he was a tall young man clean-limbed and sufficiently good-looking poverty and former opulence showed themselves in the threadbare velveteen smoking-suit he wore and the past recurred to him as he flicked some ash off this relic of bygone days oh lord he said regretfully how jolly life was when i bought these clothes some five years ago my father had not died a bankrupt country squire then and i was a rowdy medico with plenty of money and a weakness for the other sex you haven't strengthened in that direction bob perhaps not but i never think of women now not even of a possible wife matrimony is a luxury a poor man must dispense with if he wants to get on i have dispensed with every blessed thing short of the bare necessities of existence yet i don't get any reward every dog has his day they say but the day of this poor cur never seems to dawn you are more bitter than usual ellis 
because i am sick of my life you have some compensations harry in connection with that newspaper you write for you mix with your fellow men you exchange ideas you have your finger on the pulse of civilization but i sit in this dismal room or walk about this boeotian neighbourhood in the vain hope of getting a start i can't rush out and drag in someone to be dosed i can't go from house to house soliciting patience i can only wait 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 until i feel inclined to blow my brains out if you did that bob the folly of the act would prove that you have none said cass come old man buck up something is sure to turn up when you least expect it then nothing will turn up for i am always in a state of expectation i wish i hadn't set up my tent at dukesfield harry it is the healthiest london suburb i know no one seems ill and the graveyard is almost empty i don't believe people ever fall sick or die in this salubrious spot cass ran his fingers through a shock of bronze-coloured hair and laughed at this professional view of the situation haven't you seen any likely patient he asked in his most sympathetic manner not one rejoined ellis sitting down and relighting his pipe oh yes by the way that young moxton who the deuce is he a young ass i have met several times in the underground train and with whom i have had some conversation at various times why do you call him an ass because he is one growled the doctor he is burning the candle at both ends and killing himself with dissipation tallow face bloodshot eyes dry lips oh mr moxton is making for the graveyard at racing speed why don't you warn him it isn't my business to meddle with a stranger i don't care if he lives or dies unless he takes me as his medical attendant even then my interest in him would be purely professional he is a detestable young cub there is a want of pity about that speech bob want of money you mean i have no pity for anyone save mine own poor self give me success give me an income and i'll overflow with the milk of human kindness poverty and disappointment is drying it all up hullo come in mrs basket this invitation was induced not by a rap at the door but by the sound of stertorous breathing outside it mrs basket's coming was audible long before she made her appearance so ellis forewarned usually saved her the trouble of knocking she rolled heavily into the room laboring like a dutch lugger in a heavy sea indeed she was built on similar lines being squat and enormously stout so bulky indeed that she could hardly push herself through the door like most fat women mrs basket had a weakness for bright colours and now presented herself in a vividly blue dress a crimson shawl and a green tulle cap decorated with buttercups of an aggressive yellow hue her unshapely figure her large proportions and barbaric splendour would have made the eyes and heart of an artist ache but as mrs basket's lodgers knew little of art they never troubled her about her looks moreover they liked and respected her as a kindly soul for on several occasions when funds were low she had pressed neither of them for rent mrs basket was immensely proud of having a medical man under her roof and always personally polished the brass plate with robert ellis m d inscribed on it for cass she had less respect as being merely a writing person but she tolerated him as the doctor's friend like the moon he shone with a reflected and weaker glory 
lor gentlemen how them stairs do try me said the good lady panting in the doorway and patting her ample breast they're that steep and that narrer as to squeeze the breath out of me you'll stick halfway up some day said cass chuckling then we shall have to send for a carpenter to saw you out mrs basket laughed in no wise offended and announced that she had come to clear away supper which she did with much clatter and hard breathing once or twice she glanced at the doctor's gloomy face and blew a sigh with considerable noise she knew of her lodger's bad fortune and pitied him profoundly but not daring to speak she resumed her work with a mournful wag of the buttercup cap ignoring this by-play which invited conversation the young men resumed the subject of moxton mrs basket dying to join in at once espied an opportunity of doing so the mere mention of the name was enough to set her off lord gentlemen you do turn me cold to my bones moxton why the name makes me shiver and mrs basket shivered duly to prove the truth of her words usually the lodgers did not encourage their landlady to talk as her tongue once set wagging was difficult to stop but on this occasion her speech was so significant of mystery that ellis wheeled round his chair to face her and the reporter on the sofa with true journalistic instinct was at once on the alert for news mrs basket pleased with these tokens of interest improved upon her speech he has a wife said she and closed her eyes with another shiver is that a remarkable circumstance asked cass dryly perhaps not sir replied mrs basket with great dignity but what that poor young thing suffers the butcher and the baker do know does moxton ill-treat her heaven only knows what he do do doctor nobody's ever seen her save the telegraph boy as called after dark to be met with a carving knife a carving knife this is interesting who had the carving knife mrs basket mrs moxton of course she is young and pretty i do assure you gentlemen yet she came on the child with a knife in her hand like lady macbeth in the play what was that for mrs basket wagged her head and the buttercups responded she told the boy as she thought he was robbers and came out with the wepping to protect the silver but it looks like lunatics to me do you mean to say she is mad doctor i says nothing being above scandal but this i do say as she ought to be mad if she ain't that moxton mrs basket shivered like a jelly goes out night after night leaving her shut up in that lonely house is the house lonely mr cass i won't deceive you it's that lonely as graveyards is company to it myrtle villa they calls it and it's the larst house of the row as is spreading out in the brickfield direction the other villas are unfinished the contractor as was building em having died with only myrtle villa ready to move into his relatives is a quarrelling so over his money as they've let the villas be for six months mr and mrs moxton took up house in the larst of em three months come next week and they're the only pair as lives in that horribly lonely road as mrs basket drew breath after this long speech and lifted the tray ellis put a leading question don't they keep a servant no they don't sir not so much as a workhouse orphan 
she is all alone in the house night after night as i tells you and it ain't no wonder as she keeps the carving knife andy where does moxton go so regularly ah mr cass where indeed perhaps the police may know come now mrs basket you have no ground for making such a statement oh haven't i cried mrs basket indignantly why he's well orf and passes his days indoors doing nothing how then does he earn his money why does he leave her alone what's she doing with no servant and a carving knife no grounds mrs basket waddled towards the door nose in air and paused there to deliver a last word i shouldn't be surprised at hearing of a tragedy between em oh that dratted bell and at half-past eleven too decent folk should be abed the night bell of ellis's was ringing furiously and mrs basket putting down the tray squeezed through the door as hurriedly as her unwieldy form permitted as the tail of her blue skirt whisked out of sight cass jumped up from the sofa and smote the doctor's shoulder here's your first patient bob fortune is knocking at the door ringing you mean said ellis joking to hide his agitation as he spoke the voice of mrs basket was heard in wordy expostulation and a light-footed visitor flitted along the passage and into the room the newcomer proved to be a woman young and pretty bareheaded and apparently wild with terror her entrance and appearance were dramatic the doctor she gasped leaning against the doorpost to support her trembling limbs i am a doctor said ellis advancing what is it my husband my husband is dead she paused with a catching in the throat and her voice leaped into alto murdered murdered exclaimed both men with a simultaneous movement forward murdered in the garden doctor come come who is your husband stammered ellis his wits not quite under control what is his name moxton moxton she answered impatiently come doctor don't lose time i am mrs moxton my husband has been murdered end of chapter one read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california